Hey, this is Meg Mesmer, and you are watching the TV Writer Podcast. So I want to tell you a little bit about our main sponsor for the episode. Script Anatomy is a screenwriting school that gets incredible results. In just four years, their students have won 58 fellowships, half of them at major studios. In 2020 alone, Script Anatomy won four out of 11 fellowships at CBS and three out of eight at Warner Brothers. Why? Because the instructors are all working writers with current credits. They teach a consistent tool-based program and they treat students like emerging professionals. To get your writing career started, go to scriptanatomy.com. Well, my name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, episode 119 for November 9th, 2021. And I'm so excited to bring you some someone that I haven't been able to bring before, which is a multi-hyphenate. We're going to find out what a multi-hyphenate is and also um, why you would want to be one. A multi-hyphenate writer, actor, and producer, Meg Mesmer. How are you doing, Meg? Hey, everybody. Wow, I'm so excited. I'm on 119. This feels so, so like special <laughs> yeah yeah it's a cool number and um you are currently in north carolina yep i'm uh, in wilmington north carolina making a movie very very cool and um and you have done a whole pile of different things um by design and i want to make that clear that as as we talk about your career this is really what you want to do and i and i really want to introduce this to people as something that is a viable choice um, and so before we get to sort of the, the current where you are, I want to find out how you got started and how it led up to this point. Um, so teenager, what did you want to do? Oh, wow. Teenager. Sure. I think, um, when I was in high school, finally, I think my junior year, I decided that I would I think I always had wanted to do acting, but didn't really go after it. I was more into sports. And then my junior year decided to do some theater I was good at it. I loved it. And then told my parents that I wanted to go to school for theater and acting. And so, mm -hmm. um, they tried to, well, not they, my, they, my dad said I should be an accountant, but then, um, they gave in, I got some scholarships, uh, went to college in Detroit for acting. Um, I went to Los Angeles for a semester, like a summer to check it out. I went to NYU in New York for a, a summer and studied at Tisch. And then uh, when I graduated, uh, moved to New York where I started cool. um, acting or trying to book jobs in mm -hmm. uh, New York, which was very, very hard. But you did you did act in quite a few projects. No, I did. I, and I, before I left Detroit, I should say like I, I got my uh, equity card right away. Mm -hmm. Um, they kind of discovered me at a workshop and cast me in a Mitch album play, like right at the Detroit, um, radio city music hall or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not what it's called. That's New York. Whatever that one is in Detroit. Um, and then when I went to New York, I was, I did a movie right before I left Detroit and I was starring in it. And so when I got to New York, I was like, Hey, here I am. And then, you know, nobody was biting. And so I was like, wow, this, this is hard, you know? And so I started, um, working at a theater, an off-Broadway theater and, um, meeting a lot of writers and people in the industry. And my mom kept saying, you got to get on stage. You got to get on stage. So I got with a girl and we said to each other, let's produce uh, a play that we can star in. And so we commissioned some writers to write a play for us. Um, and we put it up in New York and those writers that wrote for us, 
in those years. They were just, just out of Juilliard, but they are now famous executive producers and showrunners of, of TV shows and film and uh, Pulitzer Prize winning playwrights. So um, it was wow. a good, it was a good catch and a good mm-hmm. first project out. And that was kind of the first project out where I realized that like I was producing, but I didn't even know that I was producing, but I was actually pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And so, so from there, where did that lead? So from there, um, I had been in New York probably three, almost four years at the time and realized that I wasn't happy in New York, that I wanted to do more film. Um, And I was seeing the trend of that most people getting booked on Broadway were actually film stars. And so I was like, well, I got to go do some film. And I had loved L.A. when I went. So I packed up, moved to L.A. and decided I didn't want to be a waitress Um, I mean, I, I was waitressing, but I was like, gosh, I want to use my brain. I want to be in this industry. I want to really immerse myself. So Mm. I interned at a reality, uh, independent reality producer's house. I interned at, uh, Disney Mandeville films at Disney and Paramount. And I was just, I never went to film school. So I was like learning the behind the scenes, learning what development and, um, right after I had finished those three jobs and got basically fired from my waitressing job, um, <laughs> I got uh, I got hired at a reality show company, uh, Fremantle Media, which does like the big shiny mm-hmm. floor shows, good, American Idol. Good company. American. Yeah, great, great company to sort of cut my teeth like learning TV mm-hmm. because everything was moving so fast. I was seeing all kinds of things come across my desk, like huge legal documents, but also budgets and, you know, just really getting a, an education in it. And so they also offered money for you to uh, further your education. So I ended up going to night school at UCLA for the producers program and sort of learning more about that. And then um, from there, from Fremantle, I went and I got another job um, in management. I went to go work at a top-tier management company and got to learn. At Fremantle, I say I was on the buying side of television mm-hmm. shows, essentially. And it um, untitled, I was working on the selling side using uh, – we were repping writers, directors, and actors. And so I would see that side of of things, which was really, really great, really, really great for an, as an actor to like hmm. be behind the scenes in a management company and see how that relationship is, was built and, and worked. So, um, and then right after the management company, I was still acting the whole time. And, um, I started booking so much work or having so many auditions that I had to quit cause I like couldn't do my job properly, you know? Couldn't do both. And right as I quit, I booked two huge national commercials and then also got pregnant and then decided, oh my God, no, now I couldn't like go out for all. I mean, I could go out, but not a lot of pregnant roles and commercials. And, um, and that's when I got my first offer to produce my first film. Um, so everything just kind of happened in, 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 and I should say, I should say, because this is important for your audience that while I was working in management, 
and I had been to the UCL producers program, I was hustling my ass off. I was, um, every night I had meetings. I was, I was reading content. I was deciding that I was going to produce on the side. I was, Mm -hmm. uh, producing things on my weekends, like making shorts, making pilots, making sizzles. Um, I was writing. Um, and so what the reason I got that movie that someone offered me a movie to produce was because they saw my hustle and was like, I know you can do this and I'm, I'm going to let you, I'm going to ask you to come produce this film. So that's what I did. Yeah. Well, awesome. I really appreciate you um, filling in the blanks there because I, I think often we, you know, you'll see in the trades that this happened or, or you'll oh, hear yeah. about a person picking up this project and it seems like, wow, overnight success. Uh, but yet it wasn't an overnight success. You've been building all along the way and learning all along the way and hustling. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I listened to a bunch of other podcasts um, and I was interested in um, the Happier in Hollywood podcast they were talking about here's some two very well-established writers and they're they're talking about how even in television writing they're they're saying that it's very important to always have a side hustle of some kind wow um and you'd think i mean the television writers has always been known as a very lucrative field but yet it's also a field of lots and up lots of ups and downs and you can never predict what's going to happen and and so that type of side hustle that you're doing whether the hustle be networking whether hustle hustle being exactly. producing or or whatever um it's a it's always important that um you have something going on after five or six o'clock when you get off work well and i i just think that you know yes it's a hustle and but i also am a pure believer in like having a balanced life and i think that um like we you have to think of it less, for, at least for me in, in my years of doing this, like I think about it less as a hustle and more of a, I just always want to be creating. I just always want to be in motion. And so for me, whether it's like right now I'm, I'm working on a film, um, learning a, a ton on this film. Um, just before this, I was producing my own and show running my own series. Um, and, and then coming up, I have a pilot that I have to finish and get it ready to pitch. Um, so, and, and that's all, yes, it's a hustle and it's a lot of work, but it's also really fun and, and, and nourishing for me, Mm. um, to be able to do that. And I think that if you choose this business, that's what you're signing up for, you know? Mm. Yeah. And, and especially, I think there's big differences between say, for instance, how, how the industry was 15, 20 years ago and today. Um, and, uh, you know, 20, 20 years ago, the prevailing wisdom is you either get an assistant job somewhere, maybe in an agency, or if you're lucky on a production, and or you get into a writing fellowship, and you work your way on to uh, sure. being on a staff, and then that's that's the path. But, and then you're set. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and then you're set. And, and first of all, um, streaming, they may not even have a showrunner. They may be smaller staffs. They, they, they may be very unbalanced. You might have lots of high-level high writers and not many low-level. Um, you might have lots of low-level writers and not many high. And there's just a whole bunch of different changes that have been happening in the industry. And, and then I also think about this, this generation that's coming up. There was a study done a couple of uh, years ago, and 
the younger generation, their celebrities are YouTube stars. Like, like the younger generation was asked who the more, their most important celebrities were, and it wasn't the film stars, and it wasn't the television stars. It was the YouTube stars. And so to, to this younger generation that's coming up, the shorter form content, the web content, the indie produced content is just as or more viable than, um, than the big shows. So, so talk a little bit about, about this, this series that you were doing in Atlanta um, and how it came about, how you produced it. I was really actually impressed by the fact that, that you had a full writer's room for this, this oh, series yeah. that you were producing by yourself. Tell me all about that. Sure. Um, the impetus of that started in in LA. Well, okay, so my full adult life, so my, my show is called Intersection, um, and it stems from my experience of uh, being a gentrifier. Mm-hmm. And like my entire adult life, I've lived in Detroit, New York, um, all over New York and gentrifying areas, LA, and then Atlanta, and um, really been a gentrifier in every single one of those cities. Um, mm-hmm. And so I started once I had moved to LA started really questioning, uh, what that meant to be, what, what gentrification even was. Like, I really just didn't even know what it was or conceptualize it. So anyway, I move into Atlanta and I move into a historically black neighborhood and I start being like, all right, this is a story. And it can't just be told from my perspective as a white Mm -hmm. gentrifier. Um, so I really wanted to build a writer's room around it. So we built, um, uh, there's it's all women. It's a female-led uh, writers' room, and cool. it has uh, diverse. So we have uh, two black women and three white women in there, and um, we wrote. We started writing this, <laughs> and we wrote probably for a year, and then we were about to make it March of 2020, and got shut down, oh, and wow. then all of the madness of George Floyd and, um, the black lives matter, you know, uh, sort of resurgence of, of that whole thing. And and just all of those things we, we kind of, and COVID obviously we looked at our scripts and we were like, these ain't going to cut it anymore. And so we literally back to our writer's room and rewrote for another, gosh, yeah, it was basically a year. Wow. No. When did I shoot this? Yeah. Yeah, it was a year. So we, we basically shot it in March of 2021. Um, wow. We have six, six episode web series. Um, they're about seven minutes each. Uh, we finished it. We submitted it to the Sundance uh, Episodic Lab or Episodic uh, thing. That was sort of our – it was a nice deadline to have. Um, mm-hmm. I'll have other festivals and, and things I want to submit it for Emmy consideration because, like you said, short form is on the up and up. They've created a category for um, short forms at the Emmys, and that was sort of our goal when we went into this was sort of we're like, oh, we could make this for YouTube. And then I, I started thinking, like, when we found out about the short form Emmy, I, I just said, yeah, let's let's get an Emmy. You know, let's make this mm-hmm. – let's make this – good enough to win an Emmy. And and that's what we really did. We set out with, you know, we, we did a, uh, seed and spark campaign. Um, other, what we didn't make, like I self-funded, um, our crew was 80 over 80% female and BIPOC. Um, we, yeah, we made this like beautiful story. <laughs> we shot 
like over six days, six wow. episodes. It was probably like <laughs> 60 pages. It was insane. 60 six, pages. 60 pages in six days. Yeah. Wow. With four different directors. I directed to my friend Charlie, who was also the DP directed to, uh, Avery directed one and Alicia directed one. So four direct, cause I really wanted to make it an experience like a, a TV show experience and have those different voices on, on the series, you know? Wow. Um, so it was intense, but it was super fun and worth it, you know? And, and tell me a little bit more about how you funded it. Uh, we, we did a seed and spark campaign. And, um, we, we made just under 10 grand on that. Um, and the, the series you're going to, this is crazy. This is mm. how good of a producer I am. <laughs> um, I made it for probably 12, wow. 12 to 13. Wow. Yeah. Was, now, and, and that was calling in a lot of favors. That was people donating time and things like that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people believed in the subject matter. The actors worked for free. We did do SAG, but we uh, did their... I can't remember what it's called. It's like, they have a new agreement out right now that basically allows you to... Because we couldn't do all the protocols of SAG right now with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, basically, same protocols are for like short form and Marvel movies. So um, they have this new... Yeah, wow. they have this new version that you can do... And we were safe. We tested people, and we, but um, we couldn't do it like the way they wanted us to. So we went out under the radar with this one small agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and and that's it. And then we we haven't released it yet. I think coming up, we'll probably release it early next year, mm -hmm. if it doesn't um, screen at a festival. And then I'll probably have like a big campaign around around sharing it. Um, cause we really, the whole purpose of it was to start conversation. You know, we want to do like maybe a coffee shop tour, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to talk about like gentrification. You know, we have our Instagram page, um, which is at gentrification, the show. Um, and we sort of post things about gentrification in general as a subject matter and issue that really is so rooted in racism. So, mm -hmm. Well, tell me a best case scenario, like, like where, where would you see this going? How would you see releasing it and monetizing it? Absolutely. So, uh, I guess a great goal would be to get an executive producer attached. So mm -hmm. we'll basically pitch the series to, um, people that we think would like could sign on and, and really get behind it and then mm -hmm. try to sell the show TV show. Um, and then get it picked up and make it for FX or HBO or somewhere, Netflix. Mm -hmm. and, and in terms of, let's just say it doesn't get picked up, but these six episodes that you shot, um, uh, where, how would you see releasing them and making your money back on them? Um, that's a good question. Um, I haven't, I've thought about it, but I'm also, I want to be super strategic before I get to that point and I think mm -hmm. you know Amazon is a place where you can post a series that you can charge something for um, but I'm not sure I'm not sure how how or if I want to monetize it that way I think like the 
purpose for this one particularly is is uh, the more eyeballs the better. I think mm. the people that wrote this, I think the people that made this um, and acted in this, I think visibility is really a a major goal for us, like to be seen as writers. So in terms of the monetization of it, um, selling the show would be great, but really it was more of a calling card of like our work. Mm. But I still will not try to monetize it as a producer. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, and, uh, I think we, we may have skipped a little bit. Was that sort of, um, between LA and that, was there anything else that we missed or was that sort of the, the next thing after leaving LA? Cause you had spent some time in Sweden, right? Yeah. I live in Sweden now. So, so, so you live in Sweden and these are, that's a big commute. Yeah, it is. Um, let me think. So after I did that, my first movie, um, I worked with the same guy sort of as my partner for another film that was a big film um, that I produced in Puerto Rico. And then I moved to Atlanta after that. And then I worked with sort of my production team that I work with now that I'm working on this movie with. Um, made a lot of friends in Atlanta, have a great community in Atlanta. And um, that's my team that I sort of work with now. Um, we also developed together, my partner and I have a show that we are pitching. Um, and yeah, then three months ago or so now this summer, my husband got a job. He works in video games in Sweden. And so, um, we up, my family and I upped and moved to Sweden. But the thing with COVID that it taught so many people was that you can live in anywhere, anywhere and still work as a writer. Like I have several, I'm in a writer's group. Um, and several of my, the people in my writer's group are writer's assistants or staff writers and they live, it's over zoom Wow. and pitching over zoom, you know, and, and actually one of those writers told me about her friend who moved to Sweden and it wasn't until she moved to Sweden that she got staffed on a show. <laughs> You're kidding. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. I think I think that's a really good insight is that I give people is you should live where you can be happy first of all as a human, mm -hmm. and then where you feel creative. Because when I moved out of L.A. to Atlanta, it was the first place that I felt space enough to really be creative. Because in L.A., it was just go, go, go all the time. Same with New York. Go, go, go all the time. You're always hustling. And, um, Atlanta, I got a little breathing room to write and to create like my work. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, um, I mean, definitely we've, we've heard a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that you have to move to LA. You have to move to LA. You have to move to LA. Um, but I think it's also that's wisdom that's that's come out of this old framework um, yeah. and sort of the new way of, of doing things, especially if you have a low overhead. Um, if you can produce something for twelve thousand um, dollars, you know, you, like if, if you shoot a movie for one hundred fifty million dollars, then you have to use traditional methods and, and you have to do like jump through a lot of hoops to get that money back. But if you shoot for twelve thousand dollars, you can choose to make it a calling card and. I mean, that's uh, technically you could have done that on a credit card. Yeah, correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, and definitely for people coming up, you know, it's all about what, you know, especially as you come up, like, what is your brand in a sense? Like, and when I say brand, I mean, like, what are you, what's the story you want to tell? Like, what are the, the films you want to work on? A lot of things that I work on have a mission to them, have like a, a mission-based message. Um, and that's just like the reason for me that I like to do my art. Not everybody's like that. Like they love Marvel movies and Marvel movies definitely have a place in the world for entertainment and turning off that brain. But like, um, I sort of chose, yeah, those, those kinds of things. So. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. And, and I think, um, that, the story really has to drive it. Um, and something I tell my daughter, she's studying TV writing at USC, but, um, she, she, she's the type of person that she, she'll write a novella. She'll, she'll write a series of poems. She'll, she'll write a feature. She'll write a a TV pilot. Like she, she, she has all kinds of ideas and not every idea is suited to the same genre or suited to the same medium. Um, and I think we've, we've had this way of, um, I like everybody encourages you to pick a lane and stay in that lane. But for a storyteller, especially if you, if you even, even a really pro- prolific storyteller, maybe it's a novel that's the best way to tell the story that has been driving you. Maybe, maybe it could only live as a sonnet. Maybe it could only live as a reality show. Um, right. And I, and I think that there's, there's a lot of advantages to, having an open mind in terms of how these stories can be told? Well, you've just made a nice segue for me in terms of being a multi-hyphenate because like, yes, your daughter has that multi-hyphenate view of the storytelling, right? So like they could say, oh, you should be a poet and stay in that lane. But, um, and sort of, this is sort of like in my life, I realized that I was pretty good at, producing and acting and writing. And, and so, you know, it's been, it's been a process to like figure out that I can do all those things, mm-hmm. um, at different times. Um, and that's okay, you know, cause for all of my life, people are like, what are you? And you got to stay here. And, and I think that there's some truth to that, that you should be focusing, uh, at any given time on something and really put time into that. But for me, like, I'm actually so happy. I mean, show running that show intersection was some of the, my favorite, it was like the, my favorite thing that I've ever done. Um, mm. showrunner has her hands in every single part of what's happening. And so for me, I was like, wow, this is a really great way to use all of my talents in a, in a place. So, so as a multi-hyphenate, I was like, oh, this is excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, there's a lot of very successful producer actors. There's a lot of very mm-hmm. successful producer writers. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think that we, we can have a little bit more of an open mind in terms of the lanes that we pick. I think it's more about how you sell yourself. It's more about the, the brand that you have. And if you and if you walk into a meeting saying this person might be looking for a producer or actor, you don't have to mention the other stuff that you do. Or if you if you 
if you walk into a meeting and you know that you want to focus on your your show running, you don't necessarily have to mention a lot of the other stuff you do. You have to just pick how you sell yourself in that meeting. Sure. Yeah. Um, I hear what you're saying, but it's funny. Just on this movie, like somebody pulled me aside and they're like, you know, you have producer actress on your uh, signature and your email, you know, and this is this is an old Hollywood guy. Let me just say mm -hmm. that he's an old Hollywood guy. And he says, you know, people aren't going to take you seriously. And I, I was like, you know, you know, I did think about that, but also screw them. Like yeah. I, I'm not in a place in my career. Like I ha I am those things. I've worked, you know, before I moved to Sweden, I was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year as an actor, like, you know, as a, as a, in a in commercial. So like, yes, I do that. And I also am making lots, like I'm making money producing my own stuff or producing this movie or whatever. So, so like, like you said, I think it's this narrative of what some people are used to. And then, you know, I'm not ashamed to come into a room. And also in this film that I'm working on now, I'm producing, I'm helping to produce it, but I'm, they knew I was an actor. So they're like, Hey, will you come do the this role at the reading. And I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. cool. Let me do that. That's super fun. I can do that. Um, so I don't know, like I used to be kind of ashamed to tell people that I was an actor for a while. Cause I felt like everybody was always like, Oh yeah. And I'm an actor, but I'm like, no, I actually am. And I work in both and that's what I do. So <laughs> very, very cool. Well, so, so tell me about, um, what's cooking. Um, so, so what's, Coming up, and where would you see yourself in a year or two, five years? Yeah, uh, releasing my, my series, definitely. Um, I have a, another series that I did a podcast surrounding. So my partner and I have a show that we're pitching right now, um, and we have a podcast that we built for it. So it's based on a historical uh, World War II female combat pilots. Um, and so we have this podcast that we did called, uh, the night, Witches podcast, you can find it on Instagram and we're building our TV. Well, we have a TV deck pitch that we've been uh, sending out along with this podcast and it's amazing stuff. Like mm -hmm. it's so, I can't wait to make this a TV show. Um, and I got accepted into, um, a co-production accelerator program next year mm -hmm. that, for that series. So I'm excited to see where that will lead. Um, and I think you mentioned something earlier that I never touched on that I thought was interesting. And you said like the way that you get into this business, you know, is you do this and then you get this job and then this job. And, and I still think that, you know, so much of the business is putting yourself out there, like making stuff, but also lots of my friends who are writers are constantly submitting their work to festivals and, um, like this accelerated program that I applied to. And then that's how your work gets seen. And that's how people start to see your name come up over and over. Like, Oh, they won this award. Okay. Let me read this script. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think what else I have coming up. We'll probably have a couple more movies um, next year coming up with my team here. Um, and yeah, those are what I'm, that's kind of my focus right now. Yeah. So, so tell me, um, it, your advice to somebody who's starting out, 
Um, first of all, could you be a multi-hyphenate like you are without having gone to film school or, or, or to university? Um, oh. Do you think you need to go to university um, or, or is that a disadvantage to, to rack up this pile of debt? <laughs> I don't know. I never thought about it that way. Uh, I definitely think you can be a producer or in this business without film school. I, I am that person. Um, yes, I went to the UCLA producers program like later just to, because I was so curious about all the different facets of producing. And it was like this really quick three month, uh, program where I got to learn about every aspect of producing. And I was like, mm. okay, I think I like this one the best, but you can do that just by working on films. You can do that by, you know, asking questions and getting on set and finding what you like and sort of zeroing in on that and working towards it. Um, but I don't think film school is a terrible waste of time. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I never went, but like, I'm sure you learn a lot. I'm sure, you know, probably more than I do about camera gear. Like I'm, you know, working on this film as a production supervisor and my best boy's like, I need this, all this gear. And I'm like, I don't even know what these things are, you know, but those are things that I continually get to learn about every time I'm, I'm on set as I sort of clock it. Um, and, 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 and you were sharing that a lot of the jobs that you were doing, you were learning different aspects of the industry. All the time. Every job I have, and you should never be afraid to ask questions. Um, you know, especially if you actually are going to take it in and learn. Um, what other advice would I give to people? Just get out there and make stuff. Um, make stuff that you want to see made, make stuff that is coming from you. Don't just make a horror because you think it might sell, like make a horror because you love horror because that mm. will really be true when you go to show someone. And then if you make a horror, like you're, that's now part of your work and that's what people will start seeing you as. So that's why like I, it was so important to me to make something like intersection because I was like, this is the stuff I want to continually make. Um, so that's my advice to people is, you know, be in motion. Mm, like a shark. Yeah. Sharks can only breathe when they're moving. That's so, so did you just call me a shark? I'm a shark. <laughs> um, well, in, in, in also just a, a little bit more than that. Um, I think you, you really, um, cause I, I've, connected with a lot of different people through through the podcast through twitter and stuff a lot, a lot of people do web series but i can honestly say this is the first time of i've heard of somebody running a web series just like a tv writer's room like with an actual writer's room showrunner um and and that kind of thing talk about why that's an advantage in terms of short form content the very first pilot i produced was after i learned thought I you know, knew how a pilot in the professional world was produced. And I said to myself, I want to do this the way they do it because I want to like experience that or whatever. And that's sort of how I felt, I guess, about this series was that I was like, all right, let's see what, I mean, having a writer's room and having different voices and having people that are stronger and certain, you know, my, my writers, Moretta, Jenica, Karen, and Jacinta, like all of them coming from different, like they all had these different 
beautiful talent that they were adding to the room. And I mean, obviously it elevated the whole series. Mm. Um, and that's, that is by far the advantage to having a writer's room. Um, and then the rest of it, um, yeah, I think just for me, it was super important to have multiple voices on this particular show. I don't think every show is built like that. I think you can have just, you know, you write every single episode, but, you know, especially having different directors on these. And um, I, I just wanted to create an experience that was um, true to life and, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I guess that was super important to me. Very cool. Well, we'll start, we'll start to wrap things up here, but um, as we wrap up, um, what would you say if you were to talk to, say, 18-year-old um, self um, or early college self um, I, that you know now that might help uh, that person be more uh. directed to success? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm a very impatient person. Um, so when I first started out, like, I think I mentioned this, but I just was like, why am I not famous? Why am I not famous yet? Um, and I think what that did, especially when I was in New York was I got some really amazing opportunities that I didn't appreciate. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I would probably tell myself to, to slow down and like really, really like, so I tell people this often, but you just never know when something is going to come back. Like even when I was a waitress, I have a whole blog about how being a waitress taught me how to be a good producer hmm. because you're multitasking and you're anticipating people's needs and you never know when a skill set that you're learning that you think you don't want. You know, I worked in development at an off-Broadway theater and I did not appreciate that time because I was like, I'm an actor. I don't even want to, you know, I don't really want to be here. I just want to be acting. But like that in terms of the scope of my life was a really amazing experience. Um, mm. especially because I learned, I was, uh, helping to write nonprofit letters or sorry, like, uh, what are those called? Like letters to, to get money for our mm. nonprofit. Um, and that's a skill set. Is like you're pitching, you're you're meeting all these people that have lots of money, <laughs> and I'm like, man, I did not appreciate like what I was actually soaking in at that place. I think the way I did. So that's my advice is to really to myself, anyways, to you know slow down, take it in, get get everything you can out of just where you are mm. at the time. Um, and know that it's going to come back and be somehow it's going to be helpful to you in your career. And that, that might just be because you meet somebody that ends up being your partner later, or you have a story that, you know, maybe you're in a hellish job and you use that to write a screenplay later, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my advice. Very cool. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. Um, and also, you mentioned the people, too. I mean, the people that you worked with at that time now are 
showrunners and and big producers and and things like that you i don't imagine at the time you thought they were going to be that well i i didn't i was so focused on myself you know <laughs> and so i yeah cuz cuz i i still speak to some of them or i still can email them but it's it wasn't like um i invested in those relationships as much as i could have um but yeah i mean what a crazy experience to yeah i mean they were just graduating from juilliard at the time mm -hmm. and and now we're all working in the business so yeah very very cool well um i think we'll end it here but uh share all your social media info you're at meg mesner or mesmer uh and Mes that's instagram and it's also megmesmer.com is your website yep yep and and twitter is megan mesmer I think it might be, but I'm, yes, I'm on, not usually on Twitter. Cool. Well, I'll post all the links on the show description notes. Cool. Great. I have one mm -hmm. more thing. Um, I just recently started a Facebook group called um, the Multi-Hyphenate Creative Community. And that's been a really Very fun cool. place that I've started to populate in and sort of share insight and share some stories around. Um, so that's a cool, that's a cool place to find me too. Very cool. I will post all those links. And if you want to learn more about um, your fellow multi-hyphenates, or if you want to be a multi-hyphenate, check that out. But thanks so much, Meg, for taking the time. Thanks for having me. And uh, best luck to you in all these projects. And hey, Emmy time, um, shoot me an email and I'll, I'll send out the good news on the podcast. Yeah, I, I definitely will take you up on that. Very cool. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Meg. avgearguide.com a member of the Association of Moving Image Archivists, specializes in film and video restoration. We use state-of-the-art technology to bring new life to vintage material, like the Lost Betty White series Pet Set, which we recently restored for its 50th anniversary return to air. We can apply the same technology to your documentary, film and video archive, and your family videos and photos. Mention the name of the TV Writer Podcast and get 10% off your order, and if you want to make some money, we also give cash for referrals. Visit avgearguy.com for details. Drivingfootage.com provides 4K, 9-angle driving plates for film and television. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with more areas coming soon. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots and second-unit photography. Visit drivingfootage.com for details. Full disclosure, I do own both of these companies. By supporting them, you help me bring new in-person video interviews to you. Make sure to subscribe on all of the places you can find this podcast. Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, the tvwriterpodcast.com site, or also at scriptmag.com, and now also on Pandora. And if you're on Instagram, please follow at TV Writer Podcast. Please do follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do it for as little as 25 cents per episode. You can find out how you can become a patron of the podcast or a sponsor of the podcast at tvwriterpodcast.com slash support.